Hello, how are you? Right, um, subscription. Let's touch where creepy liar gets fact check. The creepy speech two hours ago. The dust in my apartment was so out of control thanks to the previous renters. My friend recommended Homoglow. What's up, everyone? Coach D speaks with the Midas Touch Network. So, Donald Trump is at another rally. Wow, go figure. Who's surprised? And what is he doing at this rally? Take a guess. Yeah, he's lying again. Watch this video as he lies again about the election in 2020 being stolen from him. We are a third world nation that has weaponized its law enforcement against the opposing political party like never, ever before. We've got a federal bureau of investigation that won't allow bad election changing facts to be presented to the public and which offers one million dollars to a writer of fiction about Donald Trump to lie and say it was fact where Hunter Biden's laptop from hell was Russian disinformation and the FBI knew it wasn't but 51 intelligence agents said it was and a Department of Justice the Department of Justice that refuses to investigate egregious acts of voting irregularities and frauds. How does he plan on turning any of this around? Hear me out. According to Donald Trump, the FBI, the DOJ, and the courts all colluded to have him removed from office. Yeah, because according to him, while he was in office, they wouldn't even investigate all of the election fraud. So how does he plan to turn all of this around? Like, if the FBI, the Department of Justice, and the court system, all made up of people he appointed, all colluded to have him removed from office and are not doing anything to look into all of the fraud that caused him to be removed from office, how does he plan on turning them? They all obviously hate him. None of them want him in office, so how does he plan on getting the FBI the DOJ in the courts to move out of his way so that he could become president and also run the country? Obviously, that's a rhetorical question because none of these agencies colluded to have him removed. He got less votes than Joe Biden. He can't handle it. So he continues with this lie that the election was stolen from him. And you know how I know it's a lie? It's not only me who knows it's a lie. It's the freaking television station he's on that knows it's a lie as well. Because once they're done showing him on stage, here's what they have to do. Never get tired of that guy. Uh, the president mentioned in his speech the 2020 elections. Newsmax as a network believes the results were legal and final. At what point do the MAGAs realize they've been duped? Like, I don't think it's ever going to happen. But I mean, Newsmax and OAN and Fox News all have to read off these disclaimers anytime they have Donald Trump on. Because they've all been sued, they've all been told, you guys better stop lying about us or we're gonna sue you again and we're gonna ask for more money. So they can't even allow him to lie without reading a disclaimer after. But if you talk to Magas, the election was stolen. Like, remember when they used to say the election was stolen because of the voting machines? Now, they don't even bring up the voting machines. They say it was the mail-in ballots now.
And then not only that, but also the FBI, they didn't tell us what was on Hunter Biden's laptop. So that's how the election was stolen. The DOJ, they didn't do anything about Hunter Biden's laptop, or they told Twitter not to tell anyone about Hunter Biden's laptop. Like the way the election has been stolen for Donald Trump from Donald Trump has been changed so many times. I don't know how even the craziest MAGAs actually believe this stuff. And it's obvious Donald Trump does not believe it. But what he knows is he knows how gullible and ignorant his cult followers are. So he will continue this lie until the day that man dies. Period. Love this video? Make sure you stay up to date on the latest breaking news and all things Midas by signing up for the Midas Touch newsletter at MidasTouch.com slash newsletter. That was short. First to pay. Welcome to the midweek edition of Legal AF. There are just certain topics at the intersection of law, politics, and justice we have to talk about, we want you to know about, and we want you to understand. And here's where we are for today. Donald Trump told the world earlier this afternoon that he was out of cash, mm -hmm. that he didn't have enough money to post the $450 million running with interest, plus another 20% for a bond. Didn't have that money. In fact, he only had to only scrape up about $100 million. Brother Why not? Can't you get a loan? That's all he needs. And that's just talking about... Oh, the that's right. Nobody will lend you money, bitch. Ha ha. In the civil fraud case, what about the $85 million judgment? will be about a hundred million dollars with with interest and with the bond fee over in the E. Jean Carroll case. Nobody ever talks about that. And I thought Alina Abba got on Newsmax. Here she is with her thumbs up. Newsmax or one of these shows and said, of course, he's a billionaire. He's got the money. Play that clip as well. Apparently he doesn't have the money. And just before airtime, we got a ruling in record time on an emergency application by Donald Trump to only put up $100 million of the $450 million he owes and to stay the enforcement of the judgment, meaning that the New York Attorney General wouldn't be able to execute on her judgment and go grab property and assets and levy and garnish and take Melania's clothes off her back or whatever it would be um, during the pendency of the stay. But the stay was denied. Denied, as our partner likes to say, Ben Micellis. And we'll, I mean, it just came out, and we will talk about that here and what it means and what what is donald trump's end game here besides delay if that's it is he really out of cash is he trying to get to the point where he gets more money at the end of march from the truth social uh acquisition or, or going public where he may have access up to four billion dollars we will break it all down here then uh, let's talk about Fawny willis because Apparently, we have to. Um, there's going to be a big hearing this week. No, not the evidentiary hearing where we got to hear from witnesses that have no idea what's going on and no relevant knowledge to anything that's, 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 at, that's at heart of whether Fawny Willis and Nathan Wade should be disqualified. Let's not forget mm. here. Let me just remind everybody. A grand jury in Georgia not named Nathan Wade and Fawny Willis. A grand jury, after hearing months of evidence on the backs of seven months of work by a special purpose grand jury, indicted Donald Trump. 
does that have to do with who she sees or doesn't see after she's done with yeah, work? Exactly. Judge McAfee has made it about that. And he took last he's testimony um, from a former law partner of Nathan Wade. And everybody thought it was going to be, oh, he's going to he's going to contradict Fawny Willis and about when the relationship started and whether she hired him when he was the boyfriend or he she hired him when he wasn't the boyfriend, to the extent that that matters. But it was all a much ado about nothing. We'll report, as we did yesterday on the Midas Touch Network, about the testimony uh, of this this key witness, allegedly a key witness and what it means for the hearing this week about whether. She will be disqualified, and if so, what would happen to the case? Then we need to go right to the heart of the matter. Who better to take us there than our spirit guide for all things, Manhattan District Attorney's Office, my co-anchor, Karen Friedman at We're going to talk about the Stormy Daniels hush money cover-up business record fraud case. God, we've got to come up with a shorter version of the, the name of that case, uh, which is going to trial on March 25th, and now... We get down to the molecular level. We're less than a month. The trial lawyers on both sides are filing motions, fast and furious, all to be decided by Judge Marchand. We've got motions in limine to prevent Donald Trump from putting on certain testimony about certain witnesses and certain alleged offenses. We've got Donald Trump filing motions to prevent people oh, like, oh, I don't know, Stormy Daniels and maybe Michael Cohen from taking the stand against him. We've got the Manhattan DA requiring or asking the judge to ins to institute a another gag order where we heard that before against Donald Trump and to anonymize as as best as he can the jury for their own safety and their own protection this this will now be the fourth jury i believe that's that's been anonymized by a state or federal judge to protect them from Donald Trump and people around him so all of that got filed we're going to unpack all of it right here and then we're going to end with Mar-a-Lago. Yes, that case is still going on. You, you wouldn't know it, pardon me, by how slow Aileen Cannon, the federal judge, makes decisions. Uh, I joked with our producers and my co-anchors the other day, that, why does Aileen Cannon, when she writes orders, sound like a magic eight ball or the Oracle of Delphi? Why can't she just write a straight order? Why do we have to like try to read tea leaves about what it means, what's going to happen at the next hearing? Well, there is another hearing. Around the same time that Judge McAfee in Georgia is going to decide whether Fawny Willis and he are going to get a divorce, or they're going to stay in the case together and let her be the prosecutor, um, Aileen Cannon is finally going to talk about whether she's going to go forward with her May trial date. Newsflash, how is she ever going to try this case in May when there's still major issues like motions to dismiss Dozens of them that have been filed by the defense that haven't even been ruled upon, let alone appealed, let alone up potentially to the United States Supreme Court. How is she ever going to try a case in 53 days? She's not. And we're going to know that for sure this week. But that will also impact us, as Karen did a nice hot take on this one, the checkerboard and the dominoes of all the other trials and cases that have yet to have been, uh, yet to have been set. And she's got to decide whether she's going to get reversed by the 11th Circuit or not on a key issue about whether witness uh, witnesses' names should be disclosed, secret grand jury witnesses, to the public or not, having already made a terrible reversible error decision. And I'm sure there's other things we'll come up with, like, what is the Supreme Court doing about the, about the immunity case? And are they ever going to let it go back to Judge Chutkin so she can just try the darn thing before the election? All that. And so much more, one place at the midweek, 
Eagle AF on the Midas Touch Network with two people, Aaron Freeman Ignipolo, who's slightly under the weather, and Michael Popak. <laughs> Aaron, Popak. I'm sorry you're not feeling well. My wife has a cold. I think all of Manhattan has an upper respiratory infection. I'm, so, I'm sorry about that. But just to show what a trooper you are, you and I did coverage with Ben, and I think we had Dina Dahl on there for um, the uh, the evidentiary hearing that was a much do about nothing. And I know you have a very strong opinion about it. I want to get it on uh, the, the last witness, I think, in the case now before the Judge McAfee makes the decision about Phony Willis. You were there. You were there at the beginning, the middle, the end. You closed the whole thing. Then, like, like the rest of New York, you woke up with a cold. So thank you for being my partner <laughs> and being here with us today. I'm thrilled to be here. I wouldn't miss this for anything. That's right. Good. So. Well, let's dive right in. Let's not waste any time or your energy <laughs> at this rate. Exactly. Right. Yeah, so I might ask you to take a little bit of the lead today and no just kind of. No you would do it for me, and, and we've done it for each do other. Do the heavy lifting today. Okay, I'll, the laboring ore, as we like to say. Let's start with easy. <laughs> so Donald Trump doesn't like the fact that he's he's staring down the barrel of about 500 million in change, probably closer to 600 million in double judgments, back to back, one state, one federal. E. Jean Carroll's rape, civil fraud, I'm sorry, rape, punitive damage, um, defamation judgment for 83 and a half million, now probably up to about 85 million with 9% running interest in New York. A, a bond that has to be posted, if you, if you have to post it, it has to be usually 120% of the judgment amount, plus also a kind of prepayment of interest running. So that's a big bond. And But the bond that we're going to talk about here is the one that Judge Angoron just entered the judgment on in the New York civil fraud case when he entered his, you know, when he issued his 93-page ruling finding that Donald Trump and the others committed persistent fraud for years and installed all sorts of remedies or imposed all sorts of remedies, the money judgment got the big headline. $450 million, which includes $100 million in interest, running with interest at about $3.4 million a month. And then what do you do about it? Now everybody's become like what I am, which is a creditor's rights expert. What do you do with a judgment once you get it? How do you, how do you execute on it? Uh, and I've done a hot take after hot take on this, which is you, you take the decision in order, which was the 92 pages, you get a judgment from the judge that you usually submit a copy of, and they did that here. The New York Attorney General as the winner, the judge signs the uh, judgment along with the clerk, and then you have an executed judgment. You then take it and give it to the sheriff's department and you give them a list of assets that you believe exist. If you have the list through your own sleuthing and your own investigation or, I don't know, calling Barbara Jones, the monitor, and asking her where all the bank accounts are and how much money is in them, um, then you the sheriff goes literally and garnishment or the levy or the whatever to the various departments of the bank. They freeze the account. And then there's a process by which that money is sucked out. If it's real estate, they put a big padlock on the building and they schedule it for sheriff's sale, issuing a sheriff's deed to the winner in, a re in return for money. And every dollar that's collected from the sale of a boat, a masterpiece, a piece of art, Melania's jewelry, whatever they pick up. I've been involved with cases where they picked up the watch that the guy wore in to the deposition to find out where his assets were. Literally, the trustee took the watch off his arm. 
It was crazy. the fact that the guy wore a Rolex into a into a a debtor uh, deposition was crazy. But he, he he left lighter, left lighter that moment. So that's how you do it, and that's what Donald Trump is worried about. And as soon as the next, I think it's about twenty five days expire. She, he knows Letitia James and her crew are lined up with the sheriff's department to go grab bank accounts and real estate, maybe even 40 Wall Street. And they get to start selling and liquidating and applying it with running interest. The interest keeps running until the last dollar is paid, 9% annum on the, on the, on the remaining balance, uh, on the uh, wasting balance, as they say. And so... Until she gets her $450 million plus running interest every last time, she keeps selling assets. Now, she can't collect more than she's entitled to. If she sells an asset, like, I don't know, a building, and it brings in five and a quarter, and she's only owed at that moment four seventy-five, she's got to give back to Donald Trump the other 40 or $50 million, keep the change, so to speak. Uh, Donald Trump doesn't want any of that to happen. <laughs> so, And he doesn't have the money at the, at, the, at the moment. So he filed an emergency application just today with the um, appellate division first department, which is in Manhattan, which sits over Judge Angoron and all Supreme Court justices uh, over on Madison Avenue. Karen and I have been there a number of times. I got sworn in there in the ceremonial courtroom. And they asked for this emergency, stay, stay everything, stay the judgment. I have 100 million, I don't have 500 million, I'm gonna win on appeal and stay every aspect of the judge's order, it's all gonna be overturned and blah, blah, blah. And they, and they pulled a just, a judge justice who was a, like a day judge a, a, a duty judge judge anil singh who, who i know and i've appeared in front of and judge singh took a look at it and he said hmm denied as to the money judgment in other words i'm not going to stay temporarily for now until the full appeal is heard by the six member appellate panel i'm just an emergency duty judge i am not staying the money judgment I'm going to stay, though, this is interesting, I want to get your view on this, Karen. I'm going to stay a couple of other aspects of the of the judgment for now, until the full appellate panel, not the money. <laughs> I'm going to stay the a ban on his ability, uh, on Donald Trump's ability to go borrow money from New York banks. He can, he can kind of still do that right now, or up until the full appellate panel rules. And I'm going to stay the part about him being banned from running businesses or being an officer and director in a business, but the rest and the money not staying, which means it now has to go to a full appellate panel and be uh, adjudicated there. And they can ask for a stay again. As of right now, there's only these three, I think, inconsequential issues uh, that have been stayed by Singh. Why do you think, Karen, Justice Singh threw him a bone and picked out those particular items not to stay while staying while while denying the request to stay enforcement of the judgment without bond. Yeah, look, the the money part is really interesting because that's not going away, and so I think he has to come up with that money. He has to come up with the E. Jean Carroll money. He already put up the five million for the original E. Jean Carroll money, and I think he lifted the other stuff so that he can borrow the money and put up the bond for the appeal so that Letitia James with the sheriff doesn't have to do things like sell assets, sell buildings, et cetera, because that can be very disruptive to others who are tenants in the building or to other individuals who might have an interest in the building. Also, I, I have no idea, you probably, because you're much more of an expert in this than I am, but 
a lot of his, I, I doubt that a lot of stuff is in his name, right? Some of it's going to be in the name of trusts or other legal entities. I mean, this is a guy who's declared bankruptcy, what, six times? So he, I would say it's not his first rodeo in terms of protecting assets because he's filed bankruptcy so many times that he must have, he must be an expert in somehow hiding, maybe he's not hiding his assets, but somehow making them bulletproof or somewhat difficult, if not bulletproof, to penetrate. Uh, and I also suspect they're highly leveraged, right? He doesn't own these things outright. So if he has a billion dollar building, but the mortgage on it and all of the other debts on it is about the value or almost the value of the building, what good is a sale of it going to do, right? Most of the money will go to pay off and service the debt. So so I think that the reason that the judge stayed the other part of the um, of this is to number one not necessarily disrupt the status quo of what's going on in various businesses. You've got Barbara Jones monitoring things so that they can't do any funny business. They can't really do anything criminal anymore because you've got Barbara Jones in there. So so that's kind of safe, right? She's the special monitor. So in some ways those things are protected and the risk isn't really there. And again, it might be kind of difficult to get this stuff given his expertise in shielding assets from, uh, from creditors because of his numerous bankruptcies. And so I think that he is in some ways doing a favor for the attorney general because this way, he doesn't have to do any of that. He can go borrow the rest of the money. He already said today he has $100 million that he can put up. Now he can go borrow the rest, put the risk on a fi one of, on a financial institution. Don't put the risk on, on anybody else and to have to deal with it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's the taxpayers who are the ones who are entitled to this money from this judgment. So, so put the risk with the bank, at, let them take out a loan, put up the money judgments, and go from there. I mean, he also uh, recently, and, and you can talk to this Popak about the um, the SPAC, right? The Truth Social uh, SPAC that was recently approved. That I think it's what in six months, money will become available to him, and and that's supposedly going to be a significant amount of money that he could use towards this as well. So. That's why I think that they did it. Um, it seems actually like they were doing uh, the attorney general a favor, frankly. Yeah, no, I I agree with you on that. Well, it's also completely inconsistent. You know, whenever I see multiple lawyers taking different positions, it always concerns me. So Cliff Robert apparently is the one because he's the New York lawyer on the team of Hava and Kais who files these kind of motions. But I and. Um, but he can't run away from, you know, things that Alina Hoppe said. I mean, we all saw Alina Hoppe in her one of these friendly softball interviews on Newsmax say that Donald Trump's a billionaire. Of course, he has the money to put up all the all of the bonds. Well, apparently, he doesn't. As Ben likes to say, let's go to the clip. Goodness. My goodness. <laughs> um, so Judge Engeron says that he wants this three hundred and fifty million dollars within thirty days. Now, I know that you're planning on appealing this, but you've still got right. to put up the full amount pending that appeal. Does Donald Trump have that kind yeah. of money sitting around? Yes. I mean, he does. Of course, he has money. You know, he's a billionaire. Um, we know that. Yeah, well, he's a billionaire that doesn't have 
he apparently has about 350 million in cash. He's going to have to sell assets is what he, and sell real estate, a point noted by the New York Attorney General in her opposing papers today. Um, she also pointed out in the papers that he's already, the reason she needs security, just like any other, when, when I say she, it's the people of the state of New York that's embodied by the New York Attorney General. So it's not the New York Attorney General's judgment. It is the people of the state of New York's judgment. The money will go into the general treasury in New York and be used for other things, just not things that Donald, you know, for Donald Trump's lifestyle. Uh, she even said in there, you can't trust him. You can't trust him to get away with a $100 million, you know, one quarter secure judgment for me and for the people of the state of New York. For instance, and she gave two examples. For instance, he moved $40 million while the trial was going on and the monitor was in place without telling her, which was reported by the monitor, Barbara Jones. And secondly, they said, and judge, in just the last week, speaking to the appellate judge, in just the last week, all of a sudden Trump dropped uh, dropped out of the blue or mentioned out of the blue that he moved his uh, his businesses to Florida with new Florida addresses, which is exactly the kind of you know uh, dissipation of assets, fraudulent transfer that she's worried about as a justification. I'm sure that resonated with Judge Singh, especially since you know we've got the liar over here up there with Alina Haba. So of course he's a billionaire. What do you? Of course he's got the money. Well, well, of course, well, of course he does not. Now let me talk about the SPAC that you raised. That's very interesting. I got a hot take. I don't think it's going up today. Maybe the next day or so. But there, the New York Times did a very good outline about this. We've talked a lot about the SPACs. I worked for a company that was a SPAC sponsor, so I sort of understand this world. Um, so um, people might have lost track that Donald Trump and his Truth Social tried to merge with special purpose acquisition company. That's what we call it a SPAC, which is a short form sort of a fast track way to go public. But there were a lot of problems with that. No, this, this shouldn't shock anybody. Like there was in, illegal insider trading going on. There was a whistleblower. Um, there was a uh, evidence to the, to the Securities and Exchange Commission that there was violations of the SPAC rules because the SPAC vehicle, the entity, is not supposed to disclose to the investors who take who they take their money in. That's why it's called a blank check vehicle, blank checks back, who their target is. In other words, they say to a, a group of investors, um, this is how you get around from uh, Securities and Exchange Commission rules and regulations. You say, we haven't targeted a company yet. We're you know, going to do something maybe in entertainment, maybe in social media. Give us your money at $10 a unit. We'll take your money, and within a year, we'll make the investment. If you like the investment, you stay in the investment. If you don't like the investment, we'll give you your money back. That's the special world of SPACs. You're not supposed to... The, 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 uh, the acquiring company is not supposed to have a target in mind and certainly shouldn't be telling the investors. They did. The evidence was that they knew they were going to acquire Trump Social, Truth Social, and that and that certain of the investors knew that too, and that is a no-no. And so the Securities and Exchange Commission held up that deal for over a year. Now they gave approval to it. So on March the 24th, Donald Trump holds 79 million shares in this company. At the current rate, you know, listen, MAGA, MAGA, MAGA created their own meme stock at GameStop. And they bid up that price to $47 a share when it was 10. I'll do the math. 47 times 79 million is $4 billion-ish. The problem is, on the papers, he can't get to it for six months. There's a lockup provision. But 
is always an exception. If he can get the shareholders to let him access the money right now, then they he can he can he can sell the uh, shares, crushing the price and crushing those very investors that just gave him permission. Because if he sells five hundred million or a billion dollars worth of shares, it's going to tank the market. And even if he doesn't do that. Right now, once he gets the little shares in his hot little hands, his fat little hands, he can gift that to his family members. He can transfer it to close family members. So he gifts it over or transfers it over to Don Jr. And then Don Jr. uses that money to go get a loan and gives a loan to daddy. So, but but he, but look, we got a, there's a lot of pages left on the calendar, Karen, between now and March 22nd. And, and the judgments will all be, you know, without bonds, without stays, are all going to be able to be executed on. And that's where that's what we're watching right now. While he's continuing to be the leading, you know, the, the Republican nominee for office. Craziness. Sorry. I had to find yeah, the mute right. button. That's, that's all right. Okay. I, 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 that I, happens I, every once in a while. Right. So, look, yeah. that, that's where we are there. I, I think, the, I think the, bigger, the bigger problem for him we're going to talk about it later and you're going to lead on it is the New York attorney, the Manhattan DA issue. Cause this is first, you know, with all, we get fatigued with Donald Trump, not on this network, uh, but in general, and he's got his first criminal trial on March 25th that he has to go to every day, and be a defendant in a criminal trial with a jury in New York about business fraud. Um, so, you know, this is not, you know, everyone's like Teflon Don, Teflon Don, He's got a $100 million judgment, a $500 million judgment, and a likely conviction sometime in April or May in New York. That is not a Teflon Don as far as I'm concerned. So I'll, I'll make it a, a pick up right here, Karen, because of your, um, you're not feeling well. You want to do Manhattan DA first, or you want to do Phony Willis first? What, what'll get you fired up? Oh, God. <laughs> Either one, you know me. Either all right, one. let's do Fawny Willis. We'll come back to Manhattan DA. We'll we'll alternate a little bit. We'll leave, we'll leave New York. So, why don't you why don't you frame it? Because you think done, Salty I, wants us to call. Salty says we we go to a call. Oh, all right, all right. That's why we have a producer. You know what? I wasn't looking at the <laughs> clock. I was having so much fun with Karen. So coming up next will be Karen Freeman Ignifolo's spectacular analysis from the vantage point <laughs> of a former prosecutor, um, about Fawny Willis and what is happening to her. This public, you know, to paraphrase the philosopher Clarence Thomas, this public electronic lynching of, of Fawny Willis before our very eyes instead of being focused on the defendants in a criminal case. And we'll talk about the Manhattan District Attorney's Office gearing up and getting ready, you know, giddy up for a trial against Donald Trump starting March 25th, if you thought it was never going to be here, it's going to be here. And then we'll end with Mar-a-Lago, why not, and talk about whether there's going to be a trial in Mar-a-Lago. But first, some great sponsors this year I'm really happy about. And here's a word from some of them. As most of you know, I'm married and a baby on the way. And finding the right life insurance to protect my family with Policy Genius has never been more important. Make life insurance part of your financial planning this year. Start shopping now with Policy Genius to find a policy to protect your family. Getting life insurance today means you'll have peace of mind so that if something were to happen to you, your family can cover expenses 
while getting back on their feet. Policy Genius helps you compare your options from top companies, and their team of licensed experts is on hand to help talk you through it. Having the right insurance will give me the peace of mind knowing that my family will be taken care of in a worst case scenario. Policy Genius has licensed, award winning agents and technology that makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million in coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies. That means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance, save time and money, and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com slash legalaf or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com slash legalaf. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Are your teeth aging you? Popular food and drinks are known to stain teeth. Beverages like coffee and wine stain them over time. So what can you do to brighten your smile? Well, you should give Smile Actives a try. Smile Actives is safe, effective, easy to use, and will keep you smiling proudly. As you probably know because of all the videos we do, I'm a big coffee drinker, and over time I noticed my teeth lost some of their brightness that I was used to seeing. 97% of Smile Actives users in a clinical trial reported up to six shades whiter on average, all within 30 days. Simply add Smile Active's Pro Whitening Gel to your regular toothpaste. It's been formulated with PolyClean technology to boost stain removal and deliver active whitening ingredients into teeth's grooves and crannies to get better whitening. Smile Active's makes a teeth whitening gel that can simply be added to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth. So no change in your routine, no extra time, and no more messy strips trays, or lights. People will start commenting on your whiter, brighter smile in just days. Smile Actives is the whitening boost your favorite toothpaste needs to give you the smile you deserve. Visit smileactives.com slash legalaf today to receive a special buy one, get one free offer with auto delivery plus free shipping and handling. That's smileactives.com slash legalaf. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And we're back. <laughs> Let's dive right in. I want to hear all about my illustrious partner, Karen Freeman Ignifolo. We've got the last witness, apparently, in this bullshit evidentiary hearing that Scott McAfee, the judge, brought upon himself by the way he's handling this particular matter, not the way I would have. Terrence Bradley, why don't you tell our audience about the testimony, what do you think the impact of it is, and what you can do some commentary, of course, about what do you think is going to happen with Judge McAfee when he, when he hears the argument of counsel and the decision about whether he's going to uh, uh, get rid of Fawny Willis and or Nathan Wade and or dismiss the indictment as a result of whatever she did in her off hours. Yeah, well, so this was a situation where Michael Roman who is one of Trump's co-defendants, his lawyer, Ashley Merchant, was used to be a huge supporter of Nathan Wade when he was running for office. And I guess he was running for judge. She even, there's even pictures of her wearing Wade for judges, you know, or whatever it said on her t-shirt. And she then made this 
blockbuster accusation in a motion on behalf of of um, of Michael Roman, the defendant, that uh, Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade were having an affair, and as a result, that that Fonnie Willis should be removed from the case. She should be disqualified from the case because of this affair and Nathan Wade is a unqualified and that he got paid so much money and she was lining her pockets and therefore there's a conflict of interest. She only hired him so that she could make all this extra money and hired her boyfriend who was unqualified. So those are the, that was the accusation. Judge McAfee ordered a hearing and unfortunately he didn't limit the scope of the hearing but the the hearing should have been about whether or not there is a disqualifying conflict of interest and a disqualifying conflict of interest under the law would be if there is for example a financial motive in a case a case any so so prosecutors are all public servants and they're all paid a salary not hourly and not on contingency, meaning they get paid whether they win or whether they lose, whether they work a lot or work a little. Extra work or more work so that they'll make more money or you don't want it to be outcome determinative, right? You don't want them to, you don't want it to be a situation where a prosecutor only gets paid if they win because you could imagine a scenario where they would not do justice and they would cut corners or potentially do nefarious things in order to try to win. And that is contrary to public policy, contrary to justice, and that would be disqualifying. So if for some reason she hired an unqualified person and was paying him tons of money and then he was lavishing her with gifts and vacations and all of that, which is all that was uh, laid out in this motion, that could potentially be disqualifying. Whether or not she has a relationship, whatever that means, by the way, because uh, it was never defined about what that would be, what that would mean at this hearing, um, that really has nothing to do with this case, right? What if they had feelings for one another but never acted on them? Would that matter? Would it be, what if they had a one night stand? Would that count? What if it was just a kiss? Or what if it was just sexual with no feelings, whatever. The point is that is neither here nor there. You could be best friends with someone and hire your friend or your cousin and or your sibling or whatever. You could hire anyone and there could be a financial conflict of interest. It has nothing to do with whether or not somebody had sex with each other whatever reason, Judge McAfee did not keep the hearing focused or tell everybody to keep the hearing focused and have it be on this financial conflict of interest that could be disqualifying. Instead, it was like an episode of Real Housewives of Fulton County. And I thought it was kind of appalling that they spent, I don't know, 90% of the time talking about whether or not, uh, whether or not there was sex, whether or not there was these vacations and who paid for them and uh, and whether or not anyone saw them romantically, et cetera. But they never got specific or precise in the questioning. And so a lot of things were left open and vague. And it was things about, well, yes, they were in a relationship 
or yes, the relationship started before they said it did. But no one ever defined what they meant by that, right, by a relationship. So the hearing was just all over the place. And and the hearing was was over after a two, day, two days worth of testimony where there was uh, a friend of an ex-friend slash disgruntled employee of, uh, of, of the Fulton County DA's office. She believes that the relationship started before Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade said it did. And they said the relationship started after he was hired, that it had nothing to do with hiring him, by the way. And so this woman testified without any specificity about, I saw them kiss, I saw this, nothing like that. It's, it was very speculative. And then Nathan Wade testified very clearly that he, um, that he, the relationship started afterward and it ended before Trump was even arrested. So it was a somewhat brief uh, romantic relationship. Bonnie Willis testified the same, they called her father to the stand to show that Bonnie Willis always kept cash because one of the things they talked about was she paid her own way and she always paid, uh, paid um, Nathan Wade back in cash. And it was clear that that nobody believed. I mean, this is an, these are two officers of the court. These are two lawyers. She's the elected district attorney. I mean, she has a sworn duty to tell the truth, to be honest. And just by allowing all this extra testimony to impeach them, it just shows that really Judge McAfee, I don't think, believes what he heard. Because again, the defendant here did not meet his burden that there was a disqualifying conflict of interest, yet the judge is allowing all this collateral impeachment material, which is typically not allowed for collateral information. And so what, just when we thought everything was, was done, we, get, we find out and we we're just waiting on um, summations and then a judge's decision about whether Connie Willis is taken off the case, we suddenly find out that Nathan Wade's that where previously, I guess the source of Ashley Merchant's information about this relationship looks like it was Terrence Bradley, or at least that's what it seemed like that he, that he's the one who, who, who said that. And so they wanted to call him to the stand, but he said, Look, every, all the conversations I had with Nathan Wade were privileged. He hired me in the context of, of being a divorce attorney. And so at first, he wasn't going to be allowed on the stand to have to disclose those communications. Well, the judge spoke to Mr. Bradley in his chambers without the parties. It's called in camera is what they call that. And they had a conversation and the judge made inquiries and determined that Number one, the communications about the when the relationship started were a not privileged, and b the other thing we found out was that uh, Delta Airlines had had complied with the subpoena and gave the judge information about about airline tickets and all of that to potentially, I guess, support or corroborate or impeach um, Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade. So they reopened the hearing and they called Mr. Bradley to the stand and we watched another installment or episode of Real Housewives of Fulton County. It was ridiculous. And the other thing too is, first of all, some of the worst lawyering I've ever seen. They absolutely did not, uh, once again, especially um, Mr. Roman's lawyer, does not know how to ask a question, does not know how to 
um, get specific information. And so it was just, it was torture to watch. And the other thing that was torture to watch was, it couldn't have been clearer, Mr. Bradley, was that he's like, I was speculating, you know? Yeah, I believe that the relationship started earlier and started before he was hired, but I was speculating. And it just struck me as typical gossip, right? Typical gossip. People think, oh, yeah, that relationship must have started a long time ago. They're two very good looking, very successful, very powerful um, lawyers and judges and DAs. You know, they've had many, they've had many, uh, they've, they've worn many hats, each of them. And I could, you know, of course, I could, I could imagine a scenario once they do get together, somebody thinking that the relationship started sooner. And so he was very clear that that was all speculation and that he was not precise when he, when Ashley Merchant asked him, so is this true? You know, did the relationship start sooner? He said, yes, but I can tell you right now that a lot of people thought he came across as not credible, that he looked cagey, that he was like, he was lying. He said, when, when asked, did you lie to, um, Miss Merchant, when you told her that the relationship started earlier, he said, I don't believe so, or something kind of sketchy like that, something that was a little bit hedge, hedging. He, he really didn't emphatically say, no, I'm not a liar. That's what I thought. And so he did come across, I think, um, not great. He clearly did not want to be there. And, and I would say it was kind of a, it didn't, he was neither here nor there because he didn't seem credible. He didn't really, um, provide any information under oath, right? Just because he said something in a text message, if he doesn't say it under oath, it's still, even if he's not credible, it still doesn't prove the point they're trying to make, right? It doesn't prove that this relationship started when they said it did. And again, who gives a you know what about when the relationship started, but now we're in a situation where if they lied, Right. If Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade lied to Judge McAfee, I can tell you right now he's going to pull them off the case and then it's game over. How are you going to find another another prosecutor? Because the whole office will have to be taken off the case if Fonnie Willis is because she's the boss. How are you going to find an, someone else, another off, another office who's going to prosecute these 18 defendants with Ken Chesborough, who's, you know, has a fake Twitter account and supposedly cooperating, but he's clearly uh talking out of both sides of his mouth. So prosecutors going to have to manage him. You've got this crazy trial. I, I think it could be game over for, for the case. I mean, you've got the former governor was one of the witnesses who testified at the original part of this hearing, right? The former governor, very, very respected lawyer, seasoned, uh, very high profile person who's used to high profile situations. He turned down this case he turned Fonnie Willis down when she asked him first before Nathan Wade if he wanted to do this case. Why? Because he said, I don't want all the death threats. I don't want to deal with this. I know what happens when you you go into Trump's orbit and you prosecute uh, him. You get you spend your life with 24-hour security and death threats. Who needs that? So if you've got one of the most powerful people who's used to high-profile, powerful position in Georgia, who's not going to be a shrinking violet, He's turning it down. Who are you going to find who's going to actually take this case if Fonnie Willis is disqualified? She is a public servant. We should be thanking the Lord that she is willing to put her life on hold and completely, completely sacrifice her safety, her 
her life, her reputation to be put through the ringer like this. And instead we're having hearing about her private life and her relationship. So I don't know. I actually don't know what to make of it anymore. What's going to happen and what this judge is going to do because he lost all control of this hearing to begin with. What, what do you think, Pohawk? I think he lost all control of this hearing from the begin to begin with. I would not have handled it that way. That this shit just showed there are moments where you see he was doing great for long periods of time, but there are just moments that it just comes from inexperience. He's he hasn't been on the bench before. He's never dealt, of course, with these kind of issues before. He has a clear sense of what he wanted to accomplish, but he's completely inconsistent. He said at the at the top, I won't let this become know dragging Fawny willis and nathan wade through the through the mud it's exactly what's happened he needed to as i've said before after after uh he needed to do let's do the legal argument first let me hear what your arguments are let me see the proffer of what you think the evidence will show and then i'll decide whether we need an evidentiary hearing but instead he said well let's get to the evidentiary hearing let's start hearing from all sorts of witnesses like Fawny's father and nathan wade's former partner and let's talk about how many bottles of wine they had you know when they went to napa valley I'm like what the, what in god's green earth does this have to do with anything as you as you've so perfectly put it so i don't know what's going to happen now I, I don't think she's gonna get bounced I, I, you know, I'm one of those people that thinks that she didn't do herself any great favors from the sense of being a prosecutor on the case when she defended herself. I like that she defended herself, but I think she might have won the battle and lost the war. The more she defended herself, the more she looked like she wasn't an, a dispassionate, impartial prosecutor. Um, and that may concern McAfee, who's inexperienced himself. Look, they're both so inexperienced. They're both up for election with Donald Trump. They're both down ballot on November 5th, a retention vote on Scott McAfee, apparently, and Fawny's up for re-election just to show you how politics, law, and justice, all, um, all, all of this. So we're going to um, keep a close eye on it. There's going to be a hearing this week. We'll cover it. It's on YouTube. We'll have a Midas Touch channel up with it and, and, and pre-game and post-game and all of that, uh, as, we, as we like to do here on the Midas Touch Network. And we're going to talk about a breaking development with the United States Supreme Court ruling related to uh, Donald Trump. Uh, that That's called a teaser and a cliffhanger, all wrapped up into one. And we're going to end with Mar-a-Lago. we got a new ruling uh, even you know while we're putting this show together from uh, Aileen Cannon, the always incomparable yet um, incomprehensible <laughs> Aileen Cannon. We'll talk about all of that, but first a word from our sponsors. Legal AF is brought to you by Bookshop.org. You may be watching or listening to our show right now, but are you reading enough? It's time to dive back into books and conquer that reading goal you set for yourself this year with Bookshop.org. There's so many great books out right now that help you make sense of this moment. Or maybe you just want to get away from the political noise and unwind with a good novel. Bookshop.org has just the book you're looking for. Bookshop.org is unapologetically anti-Amazon. Why? Because when you purchase from bookshop.org, you're supporting local independent bookstores, so they'll be around for all of us to enjoy in the future. They're committed to helping independent bookstores not just survive, but thrive and continue to foster culture, curiosity, and a love of reading in your community. Of course, everybody knows I love reading because I have 
lots of books around me always. Bookshop.org has raised over $30 million for local bookstores. You can even pick which bookstore you want to support, whether it's your local bookstore or your hometown favorite. Bookshop.org is truly for everyone who loves to read and knows the power of a good book. I just finished reading Worthy, How to Believe You Are Enough and Transform Your Life, and it's a truly beautiful read. And thanks to Bookshop.org, I had no problem finding a book that I was interested in with just a click of a button. Start feeling good about where you buy books. Use code LEGALAF at checkout to get 10% off your next order at bookshop.org. That's code LEGALAF to get 10% off at bookshop.org. Keep reading and stay informed. Only for new app users with qualifying orders. Well, we're back and we got some breaking news. Much different than I had thought, and thank you for Salty for posting it there. The United States Supreme Court, apparently there's at least five votes of the United States Supreme Court to convert the request for a stay by Donald Trump on the uh, three-judge panel ruling for the D.C. Court of Appeals that there is no presidential immunity, absolute or otherwise, uh, for a criminal for criminal conduct while the person is in office. Supreme Court thinks that's interesting and has now decided to set it for a full appeal with full briefing and oral argument timing out for April the 22nd. What is the impact of that? First of all, I really, um, I'm gobsmacked for many reasons, but one, but one of them is I really thought the delay, and it's been about two weeks or so, is because we were waiting on a denial of the motion for stay and writ of certiorari, and we were waiting on sense to be written, but apparently what was going on behind closed doors was an attempt to try to grab four to five votes, four votes to take it up on appeal, five votes to grant it. So somewhere between four and five votes, don't know who, it's all opaque at this moment. They think at the Supreme Court level that they're putting this on a fast track because they're going to they're gonna have an oral argument on the 22nd of April. doesn't mean they're going to rule on the 23rd of April. In fact, you know, Supreme Courts usually take two to three months. So even if they fast track the argument and the appeal and all of that, and, they, and, they're, and everything's done and dusted on April 22nd, it, take, it could take them two to three months or six months to rule. Let's just say it's before the end of the term. The term ends in June. So we get a June ruling. Well, there goes the trial. Judge Chutkin was going to hold for the D.C. election interference case before the election, because if the ruling comes in June and it's and it's in against Donald Trump, I guess Chutkin could re-scramble. But the parties haven't been preparing for the trial because there's been a stay in place. And so there's no way Chutkin, under due process, is going to force Donald Trump to get ready for trial in three weeks and try the case in July or August. So this, the ramification of this, and I want to get your opinion on it, Karen, is that this D.C. election interference case, the four counts against Donald Trump, presided over by Judge Chutkin, is not going to go to trial 
for the November election. What do you think about all that? Look, I've never been prouder. Is the Manhattan DA Hashwani case where the first time Donald Trump tried to uh, steal the election? It's I feel so deflated by this decision. It, it's actually shocking to me, and I just can't believe they're doing this because even I mean this is already somewhat fast tracked by doing it this way because the arguments are going to be in April and then I guess they could have a, a decision in June. And, but then Tanya Chetkin said she'd give them time and day for day, that's what, three months. So there's no way they're going to start this trial in September or October in the middle of the election. It's just, it's just not going to happen. And so that case isn't going. Now with the Real Housewives of Fulton County, that case isn't going because we're sidetracked on whether Bonnie Willis had, had a consensual relationship with Nathan Wade. And so that case is not going. So neither Jan 6 case is going. And Eileen Cannon, who still has her Mar-a-Lago documents case on the calendar in May, there's no way that case is going in May, and and she's she's slow walking it. She's not taking it off the calendar, but because she, she wanted to uh, block out Judge Chutkin in case the United States Supreme Court didn't do what they just did, and um, and so that case isn't going. And so the Manhattan DA case for all the naysayers out there who said, "Why this case? Why is it going? It's not that very serious, etc." The Manhattan DA's office has always been. Put your head down, follow the facts wherever they lead, do not play politics with people's lives, and just, if you've committed a crime, no matter who you are, you're not above the law, period, full stop. And I've never been prouder of my office. That well, this let's, is the let's segue into going. that, but let's get right into it. Let's, you know, listen, we got to get off the mat and, and move forward. It's not the decision we wanted, but that's the decision we have by the United States Supreme Court, which effectively takes off the docket case that we all think is the most important case to go to trial before November November 5th election. It's just not going to happen. But we do have a case. It may not be the case that everybody wanted, but it's the case that we're going to have against Donald Trump, first to indict, first to try Manhattan DA. Now the lawyers there on both sides are filing their motions. I'll do the ones for Donald Trump, but why don't you do the ones that, um, that the Manhattan DA, you want to do the ones that Manhattan DA filed or the ones that Donald Trump filed? Why don't you do the Manhattan DA ones? You did a good hot take on the gag and the juries and the and all of that. And I can kind of wrap in with the motions and eliminate. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Okay, hit it. <laughs> you want me to go first? Yeah, please. Mm -hmm. So, um, so the Manhattan DA's office, the trial lawyers there are clearly getting ready for trial by filing pre-trial motions in limine. And there, so that's how you kind of know that trial is about to start because just from the timing of it, and these are the pre-trial motions that are being filed. And, and they filed uh, two motions in particular that kind of go hand in hand. They're very similar. Um, there's there two sides of the same coin, if you will. Uh, one, it was for a 
gag order of Donald Trump, and uh, the other is for an anonymous jury. And essentially what, what they're asking for is a protective order. It was a protective order motion seeking the prohibition of disclosure of uh, juror or prospective jurors, home addresses or business addresses, other than to counsel of record to, um, for the parties. So meaning the lawyers can get the addresses so that they can do the research, because that's what lawyers sometimes do when they're engaging in uh, pretrial research with, with jury. With It's called voir dire or voir dire in some parts of the uh, the U.S., what we call it for dear here, here in New York, and that's just another word for jury selection. Um, I think it's a French word, actually, not a Latin word, but anyway. Um, and so they, uh, they, they're going to do a juror questionnaire, and, and jurors are going to put their names and addresses, and, and the lawyers will do research and, and look into find who these people are in an effort to kind of learn more about them. And so number one is uh, they're asking to prohibit the disclosure of this information from Donald